You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 2, featuring The Cage and Where No Man Has Gone Before. Told you we'd be back, and here we are. Or nothing if not good, good to our word. Good to our word. Good to our word. It's a sentence. Look it up. <laughs> I will In look that, it up. The, the big book of sentences that exist. <laughs> Very well. Um, okay, this week we are starting our review of episodes. Um, so no more us telling you about ourselves. You know everything you need to know about us. Uh, everything else remains a mystery because we are mysterious. Ooh. I'm kidding. There's no such thing as mysterious. <laughs> so I went back and forth uh, for a long time on where where we should actually start. It seems obvious, but is really not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason is, um, and, and I may be retreading things that those of you familiar with Star Trek already know, but just, just to, to quickly go over this. Uh, they did a pilot in 1964 called The Cage, um, which had no familiar characters in it except Mr. Spock. Who did not look familiar at all, no. really. Nimoy played him. He had pointy ears beyond that. Yeah. Nothing the, Sp- like- the, S- the Spock of then has very, very little to do with the Spock of today. Right. But um, And then uh, after that, the, the network said no, uh, but sort of an unprecedented thing at that point. They said, uh, give it another try. And so they did a second pilot uh, where mm. the man has gone before. And most of the familiar cast was there at that point. They were still missing a few key players. But for the most part, you had uh, Kirk, you had uh, Sulu, Scotty was there. Is that it? I think that might be it, actually. Bones there was no Uhura. Uh, there was no uh, McCoy. Right. And Chekhov wouldn't be till season two. <laughs> now, the reason... applying for a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> the reason... Um... The reason I was so conflicted is because uh, when you buy these on DVD or uh, or on Blu-ray or whatever, the cage is actually not included as episode one. They actually tack it on the end of, of season three as sort of sort an extra. To justify your purchase of I, season three. Yeah, because season three is not the best. Um, but the problem I run into there is I only own the first two seasons of the original series on, on the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I haven't bought season three yet. And so I didn't have the cage. And I was like, well, maybe we should just do that. But uh, now... I, I really I have a lot to say about Captain Pike and and that sort of thing, so I think we should. Yeah. Fortunately, uh, the internet provides the YouTube was able to compensate where where my collection has failed. So yes, that's links it. will not be provided in the show notes because we need <laughs> to keep them there so we can watch the rest of the series. Yeah. Here's here's the thing I wanted to, to mention re- very quickly. Um, I our our voice guy uh, Dave, very good friend of mine, um, who does all our voice stuff for our other show as well. Um, recorded the, the lengthy, uh, disclaimer you hear at the end of the show. Um, but, uh, in his, in his wonderful, delightful, uh, passive aggressive way, uh, he labeled the file, uh, fucking, obno- what did he call it? Fucking obnoxious, uh, disclaimer, <laughs> fucking ridiculous disclaimer. <laughs> what he may not remember is, uh, in the early, in the earliest days of, of the internet in the sort of the mid nineties, um, Paramount actually delivered cease and desist orders to any like GeoCities, Angel Fire, whatever pages of like fan fiction or whatever. Like if you typed the word Star Trek, they would sue you. I'm I'm barely exaggerating there. 
You guys seen this? They're writing stories where Kirk and Spock have relations. With no, one no, 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 no. Get the lawyers. I mean, they were, you know, the, the reputation Disney has now, they were like that then. I don't mm. know if it's improved, but it put a scare in me. So uh, that is why. Mm. That's why you don't see a lot of artwork. That is why you don't hear a lot of music. I, I'm just, I'm being overly cautious because uh, lawyers frighten me. Better safe than sued by Harlan Ellison. Better safe than Sulu? <laughs> <laughs> oh my all right let's let's get to this um all right so uh i i watched the cage which mm. um the the thing that impressed me the most about this episode having seen some of the original series before is just how much more extravagant it is the, the budget is significantly bigger the effects uh, even though they came a few years before look uh, uniformly better that's oh, a um, great looking episode. It really is. And it has more of, I would say, more in common with like the 50s, with like a mm-hmm. late 50s. It, it really reminds me of Forbidden Planet, which is one of my favorite classic sci-fi movies. It's got that great sort of retro. I mean, it wasn't retro then, but, you know, the right. retro futuristic feel. <laughs> that to it. cutting edge technology of yeah. the 1960s. <laughs> right, exactly. And um, and and it's weird to think that they spent way more money on this first episode than they did. <laughs> on like I think all of season three combined or something. That's that's a made up fact. But well, the entire the entire budget was dumped into Shatner, <laughs> basically. Um, so the episode opens and we don't get any space. The final frontier. So how do we know you know where we are? We have <laughs> no idea what their mission is, what the ship is. We're just expected to figure it out on our own. And somehow, space. You can tell because there's stars there. Well, see, they expected you to do some work. Mm-hmm. They expected you, the viewer, to connect the dots, and and we did, and we weren't confused, and the network thought that we would be, but uh, there you go. Um, they opened with this great shot that uh, I don't think the the, pro- the series proper ever did, where they zoom in from space to the top of the Enterprise and then to where the bridge is. Like, you actually oh, see yeah. where the bridge is. I um, really like that. I do, too. Like, I love any time you can see how the inside of the ship relates to mm-hmm. the outside of the ship. Like, it doesn't just look like a model that way. Mm. but is it really a smart place to put the most important part of the ship right on the top? Like, Oh yeah. Protruding. That just, that seems like a bad idea to me. We are the men of the Federation and we don't care that we use, uh, we're using the, uh, the place where we keep all of our bridge officers as a head, as a hood ornament. (laughs) There's a big neon arrow pointing to, uh, you know, target photons here. Um, so we, we get a, we got our first look at the crew. It's, uh, Spock, but he like, like Matt said, he's not really Spock yet. Uh, he he's a happy a Spock. Yeah. He's really happy. He yells a lot. Yells. Uh, he smiles. Really strange. Um, but the Spock of then is, uh, this mysterious female character called number one. Mm-hmm. Um, not Riker. She doesn't put her leg up. Just, uh, well, I mean, if the show had gone to series. Yeah. Possibly she would be putting her leg up all leg up by Spock. <laughs> but, um, Majel Barrett, who, uh, later became the, um, Mrs. Roddenberry, uh, and then a lot of other people. Oh yeah. Nurse Chapel, Luxana Troy, the voice of the enterprise voice of the ship. Yeah. Um, she plays number one, uh, so hot, but oh. <laughs> she was, she was really the Spock of then. She was the, mm. the coldly logical, like, you know, sort of stern, like she was the, the walking computer or what, you know, whatever the dumb expression yeah. that they used was. There's a there's a great line in there uh, when Pike is on the bridge and uh, he's just had one of the yeomans give him a give him the Star Trek uh, note notepad with pen oh, that right. they were always so fond of. And well, no, actually, the, in 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 the Kirk series, they would uh, hand like a 
like a UPS package thing. Oh, that's right. But in this, it was actually still paper, which was yeah, weird. it was paper on a um, like just on a board. Yep, on a clipboard. On a clipboard. Thank you. And he says, just not used to the idea of women on the bridge. And then he looks at number one and goes, uh, not including you, of course. Yeah, you don't count. You're not. A, You're different. Yeah, not a woman. So, um, so they spend two full minutes evading a, I guess, a radio wave. I was really unclear as to what. Yeah, was I on. wasn't really. I didn't want to say anything, but like, I'm not really sure what was happening there. No, I mean there was a lot of really solid like science fiction filmmaking going on there, but uh, mm. I didn't have any clue what was happening there. Um, there's there's supposedly like a distress call, uh, but uh, Pike continues on his mission and ignores it and decides to have a drink with his doctor, who was about nine thousand years old. Um, Captain, this, I brought you your whiskey. Yeah, I, I'm not really clear on what they were going after. I guess it was sort of a of a the beginning of what they did with Bones. Mm-hmm. Where he's the, the captain's you know friend and confidant as well as mm-hmm. the, the doctor, but really it just looked like a creepy old man brought him a suitcase full of gin. And on top of that, he reminded me a lot of Uncle Charlie from My Three Sons, which was really unsettling. <laughs> One of the things I sort of got from Pike was that he didn't really get along well with the rest of the crew. Yeah, I think they they sort of revived that more with Picard. Like, it yeah. was less of a Kirk thing and more of a Picard thing where he was, you know, the, the loneliness of command, the distance yeah. of, you know, that sort of thing, which was cool. It would have been a cool thing. Um, so, yeah, he commiserates with with, uh, with the Doctor, which who, who was not actually named. I thought his name was Piper. That's actually the Doctor in the, the next episode. So, no, his name in the script was just incredibly old doctor. <laughs> um, and we get a we get a little exposition. Um, some people died on their previous mission on one of the many Rigels that you will hear in the mm-hmm. in, in the series. Uh, Rigel Seven. The, the Rigel Galaxy is enormous. Jesus, I mean, I I can't count how many Rigels there are. They just every time they need a new planet. Uh, have we named Rigel Twelve yet? Oh, Rigel Twelve. Well, Very good. Just off the top of my head, it's got the sex planet. And a planet where they where there are still swords and armor. Yeah, and that's uh, that's that's what he uh, is talking about here. They lost some some people in some weird castle thing. I don't know. <laughs> I really like that that sort of idea. Just like we've been doing this for a while. We just had this adventure. People are dead, but we're not like that's it. It happened. You didn't get to see it. Yeah, and again, you get that sense of you know we're we're not going to necessarily explain this to you. You just you're expected to follow along, and then. In 1964, that was actually a big deal. There wasn't anything really like this on TV. No. I mean, I don't think... You get some Star Trek fans really going on and on about how revolutionary the show was and all that and world-changing, and I I think they go a little too far. But they're really... Mm. In terms of what was on TV, I definitely think they broke some new ground. Oh, yeah. Uh, And, of course, in this scene, you get the first appearance of, I'm responsible for, insert number here, lives on this ship. And he's... um, Pike's pondering quitting... He's like, uh, I don't know if I got it in me anymore. I, I, I don't know if I can do this. This is hard. And we get the, the first sort of appearance of the whole, uh, no, you're destined to, to captain a starship. This is, you know, this is what you should be doing, not, not anything else. Um, he also d- briefly considers becoming an Orion slave trader. Yeah, and I think um, I think the reason they threw that in there was they, they wanted to establish later on when we see the, the green Orion slave girl. Yeah, it, it, not exactly the kind of thing I'd like. I would give to the captain to consider doing. Especially, like you told me that you thought they cut out a scene where he talks about how he doesn't approve of it. And I, you know, I I thought about that, and either they cut out a scene, or I just remembered wrong, or maybe I read a novelization. I don't even know, but I could swear 
Uh, Pike found that whole thing distasteful, but maybe mm. that was just me reading that into the character. I don't know. Now the original Pike found it extremely tasteful. <laughs> um, so they get a, they get an update. Like after he decides maybe I'm going to quit. I don't know. You know, being a captain is hard. Boohoo. Uh, oh, I, an update. There's, there's survivors on this planet after all. Like it's not just a, a fake distress call. So, uh, oh. so they charge in and the, the, the warp effect they do is a bit cheesy. There's this, sort of half dissolve where they play the entire theme music and it was that, it was weird yeah i mean like, was, I, did, I, I didn't dislike it i just thought it was a weird choice they just sort of half like they had they had a shot of space and a shot of the bridge at the same time sort of half dissolved mm-hmm. into each other and just they played the entire theme music it was like i didn't really get the sense that they were at warp exactly star trek chicks just wailing away <laughs> uh but the the shot as they approached the planet was actually quite good looked a bit better mm-hmm. than uh than on the original series, like on the, on the rest of the series. Um, oh yeah. And when they beam down, the, the transporter effect looks good. And the, the, the actual planet, as far as sound stages go, not too bad. Uh, all the background paintings, there was a lot more detail, I think in those than in the, Oh yeah. Than, than later on. Planet looked just gorgeous. Yeah, it did. Um, for, for that sort of paper mache 1960s, uh, you know, traditional planet look, you know, it looked really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Probably the best you could expect it to look on television, I would say. Mm. Um, they find these weird vibrating blue plants, which makes Spock smile even more yeah. for some reason. I have no Kept idea. Kept I've never been more delighted in my life. Look at this. Wee! <laughs> I think he actually said wee at one point. <laughs> so they find this uh, survivor camp of, of old men. and uh, But never mind that, because, uh, hello, nurse. There's this... I- uh, I love how they present her. It's, well, it's just like, yeah, oh, finally, we're saved at last. Oh, look who it is. Yeah, and then, like, you might as well just start the sexy sax music right there. And the <laughs> Thankfully, they hadn't really started the whole, like, soft focus, smearing yeah, yeah. the lens in Vaseline thing for other woman characters yet. But uh, <laughs> had this been a Kirk episode, they totally would have done that. Yep, would have done a close-up on him. I've never seen such beauty in all my days. Right. So, um, and then we, we sort of cut back and we see these, uh, these awesome, probably the coolest looking aliens in the original series, uh, with these sinister bulbous heads, uh, watching on. And they've got these veins in the forehead that just throb. It's a really cool effect. It is. They look at at least as good as, like I say, anything in the original series. And, and I would even put them next to some of the better, like next gen, Mm. Like prosthetics, they're just—they're really well designed. I think they cast little people or something like that. Yeah, and it—it it just gives them this creepy look. It's—it's it's great. Um, but they capture him, of course. <laughs> the kidnapping of them, <laughs> like when they kidnap Pike, I just real was really delighted by that. They zap him and then drag him into a cave. Yep, and then the the crew for the next little while try to shoot their way in for mm. uh, I don't know seven years or so. It, it, nothing happens for a while, but the the story really shifts to Pike at that point. Yeah, where they're they're watching him, they're talking with his mind with their minds, and uh, you get the first appearance of many of an alien looking down at a human and saying, "God, you're so primitive." <laughs> I mean, this show it's no wonder nerds have such low self esteem <clears throat> because our best show is constantly telling us how you know. How we're beneath everyone and how just we're, we're nothing. We're so primitive and terrible. Ah, uh, humanity. You guys suck. Yeah. I mean, come on. Where's the hey, self-esteem? Look how small your stupid heads are. <laughs> and then, then there's this great line where they say thousands of us are probing its mind. 
<laughs> which, um, yeah. <laughs> so they send him through the whole bunch of, um, a bunch of like simulated experiences that fight and a, I don't know, a picnic or something. And the whole thing is that it all comes down to this, this chick, Vina, this, this blonde, uh, is trying to tempt him to, to stay there, to, yeah, like accept they're, they're, this false reality and, and stay there with her. Yeah. It's unsettling. It is, and not in a not in a badly written way, not in a, like, no, they didn't like, know what they were doing in the 60s way, just... Intentionally unsettling. Yeah. Just like, we want, we aliens would like you to fuck this girl in front of us. Yeah. We can just, provide any number of simulations. He refuses. He just, he, he resists with, with all his strength. At one point, they actually punish him by sending him to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you remember that? Oh, they, that they, was they, a neat looking effect, too. Yeah, they, they tried to make him eat, and he refused, and so they just, suddenly he was around all these fiery caves and just... <laughs> Guy in a devil costume dancing around in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so they they continue trying to tempt him with all these different images and and so forth, and um, and suddenly Vina turns into a green Orion slave girl. <laughs> and somewhere a young Bob goes. Mm. <laughs> and for those of you unfamiliar, uh, regular guest on our other show, old old friend of mine. I've known him for nigh on twenty years now. Uh, Mark Bosco, aka Bob. Really has a thing for green girls, <laughs> and uh, we'll probably have him on this show at some point to to talk about that. Maybe mm. when we get to an episode featuring a green girl. Um, but uh, he's got a thing for her and for She Hulk and for I. I think there was another one. There was that enough, other that other green girl. Yeah, you know that it's, one. It's a very it's a very strange and very specific fetish, but. Uh, <laughs> You know, I, I can see it because it was it was a creepy scene. It was these leering guys like, yeah, so they don't mind if you take advantage of them here. It's like, yeah. Pike's got this weird like like tinfoil robe thing. Yeah, I, I will give this episode a lot of credit, though. Um, there were a lot of scene changes. There were a lot of aliens. Like, not everything looked great, but there was a huge variety. Like, you didn't just get your standard two or three guys of the same alien race. Like, mm-hmm. you had a lot of costumes, a lot of prosthetics. Some looked better than others, but they really gave you this sort of broad scope of, this is an alien landscape, and they're really jumping him around to a lot of different places and not just oh, yeah. different parts of the same room. So, you know, giving giving it that, it was actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, the Enterprise uh, crew decide to beam down and rescue him. Um, but for some reason, only the women beam down mm-hmm. and, uh, and then it comes down to, we realize that the, that these, these aliens, the Telosians, uh, basically want him to breed. They want him as breeding stock. And if he doesn't want Vina, well, yep. then they offer him three choices. Look, we got plenty of, cho- we got plenty of options here, man. You know what? The blonde, we got a brunette, we got a redhead. Yeah, they bring him number one and they bring him as yeoman. So yeah, basically yeah. he, <laughs> like, like you mentioned, uh, the standard, you know, the the choice that's followed man since time immemorial, blonde, brunette, or redhead. <laughs> he refuses to choose, which, hey, that would be difficult for me as well, man. <laughs> um, and they so reveal... I gotta work with these women, okay? They they reveal these really creepy, like, uh, number one apparently has fantasies about him. Mm-hmm. And what was it they said about the yeoman? She's... Uh, it's like, he, she thought you were unattainable, but now she thinks she might you might be attainable. No, but then there was the bit where, like, she's really filled with I don't know oh, what it was. God. She's particularly was feminine, feminine vigor. That's it. She's full of feminine she, vigor. She's a horn dog, is basically what they were saying. Uh-huh. And Pike, to his credit, is still having none of it. And uh, mm. I 
I, being a lesser man, I definitely could not have resisted that, but uh, good on him. And he finally grabs a Telosian, threatens him. And then suddenly the Telosians realize to their shock that humans don't like captivity. Wow. That's strange. This race doesn't like to be, you know, put in a cage. You know, maybe we should think about asking all those other aliens we caged if, you know, they like being captive. Nah, they seem Uh. really surprised by it. Human? What? 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 They don't like it? Are you nuts? But we got you this nice glass thing (laughs) and a wheel to run in. (laughs) So he basically dooms them to extinction and leaves Vina there and, uh, the big reveal at the end is that she's old and ugly and scarred and uh well he can't. I love that it's not it's not just that it's that when she they crashed on the planet she was barely alive and they put her together wrong yeah they didn't they didn't really know how to reassemble her so yeah they put like her ass where her shoulder goes and mm-hmm. yeah she was a mess but uh, she decides to stay and stay in the illusion world and uh, runs off into the sunset with with a <laughs> with a fake captain pike See, I I watched this last night, and first of all, this is a very Star Trekky thing. You know, you got like the horror, uh, the horrible truth of reality with its realness, or living in like a fantasy world. And usually, Star Trek goes for the well. I really need to, you know, I can't not live in the real world, no oh, matter sure. how often. You had it is. the you had the Shoreleaf Planet, you had the holodeck, you had mm-hmm. the Nexus. I mean, time and again, it's been a it's been a recurring theme. Yeah. I, you know, and I i don't know if it's because it's the pilot or they were just doing something different, but they don't go with that this time. It's just like, well, you know what? Sometimes it's okay to not be in the real world. Well, if your life is horrible and you're living in tremendous pain, mm-hmm. then sometimes it's better just to escape to this fantasy world, I guess is yep. what they're saying. And and we'll come back to that when we get to the menagerie, actually. And the wonderful fate of Captain Pike. <laughs> Beep. Uh, one, one final thing I did want to mention before we move to the next episode is – um. I really like Captain Pike. I think, you know, I, I'm not going too far out on a limb here saying that Jeffrey Hunter's a better actor than, than Shatner. Yeah. I think the character would have developed a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. And I think even uh, seeing him in, in the, the recent movie, fake Star Trek, as I call it, um, mm-hmm. having uh, Bruce Greenwood playing him was fucking fantastic. Basically making him Kirk's mentor was a yeah. really solid choice. And you pointed this out to me. You're from, you're more familiar with sort of the extended universe stuff that there's very little material with Captain Pike just off having adventures. Like there's yeah, a few I things actually, here and there, but I was actually surprised. There's like, there's so many series of books based on like characters who barely ever appeared and never in anything. Yep. You, there's almost nothing about Pike and the, and his crew. And we got, I mean, we didn't get fully fleshed out characters of everyone, but I mean, you could, you could definitely pick up what you have about Pike and what mm-hmm. you have about number one and like maybe a young Spock, like, retcon it so he's trying to be more human or something you know explain why he's laughing a lot and you could really run with that and i've read a couple of things here and there but you know there should be entire series of books about that or comics Mm. something yeah and uh you know if anyone's listening uh, i'm I'm volunteering to write those because uh (laughs) that guy's awesome and i mean like they really had like the beginnings of a crew you were interested in you know yeah i mean not not a full crew but three or four characters you could well i mean yeah, and I mean, it was a pilot, too, right. so, like, you yeah, know, I'm I mean, sure... Even, that even the second pilot really only had, like, two characters that yeah, exactly. around that you cared about. The other two... Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, yeah. Anything else on the cage before we move on? Um, I thought it was really interesting that uh, once you get past Pike, the two main characters on the show are both women. Yeah, they actually... That was one of the things that struck me about this, and, and to a lesser extent, the, the following pilot was... 
they were a bit more respectful of women. And I think if I've read correctly, the network didn't like that. Mm. Like the women wore pants and yep. there was a woman first that. officer and, and, you know, and then eventually we get to, uh, there can't be woman captains and everyone's in tiny short skirts. Yep. And you know, the, the, the raging Riker horn dog in me loves the short skirts, but on the other hand, not terribly dignified. Not exactly. No. The, the well, feminist I mean, sympathizer in me says, well, you know, they could wear pants. So There's no room in your world of Starfleet captains for a woman. Well, if she's sitting on the bridge and her ass is hanging out, I imagine the Klingons aren't going to take her too seriously. <laughs> All right. Uh, so then, uh, then we moved on to the, to the second pilot to where no man has gone before. Right. Uh, we got Kirk showing up for the first time playing chess with, uh, Spock and crap. Kirk with his incredibly thick eye makeup, especially in oh. his first scene, just like purple eyeshadow, just smeared on almost like a clown. It's ridiculous. <laughs> this is all I wanted to be pretty. <laughs> and we get and our, we get our we first appearance to- of the, uh, the 3D chess, the wacky, yep. crazy chess of the future. Look, we're in the future now. We don't play regular chess. We play 3D chess. Look at all these levels. This game has been good enough for Earth for the last 2,000 years, but nope. It's 200 years later. we got to have something different. <laughs> We'd bore much more easily in the future. 3D Monopoly is also a lot of fun. <laughs> I hate playing as the 3D shoe. <laughs> of course, the, the span of the game can take your entire lifetime. <laughs> no, they don't have money in the future, so uh, it's really more of a novelty. Nobody takes it that seriously. You play it with Ferengi. Oh, well, there you go, then. (laughs) Human Uh, play Monopoly. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so we've got Kirk, we've got Spock uh, actually doing something. And we have uh, Kirk's bestest friend, Gary Mitchell. (laughs) Who? (laughs) Some dude who's just like, ah... Yeah, Kirk. You and I have been friends since the academy. Yeah, let's you know, have a time. I've I've watched an awful lot of episodes and read a lot of books, and um, never heard of no Gary Mitchell. No, and I, I, like I've talked about this before. Like I would like to have seen that more of this guy. You know, like he's supposed to be this big thing in Kirk's life, and you know, spoiler alert, he dies at the end, and you know, we never mentioned him again. Yeah, it would have been nice to to call back to that, like, oh, poor Gary Mitchell, or. Like you mentioned uh, in our pre-show, like maybe in the uh, in the new movie, just show him at the academy or something. Mm-hmm. But nope, just one time he was his greatest friend in the world and then disappeared. Luckily, I have this new friend Spock who likes to play chess with me, <laughs> and then I got Bones to keep his ass in line. <laughs> but no Bones yet. No. Anyway, they find a barbecue floating in space. <laughs> They're gonna find a lot of space junk through the course of the series. <laughs> Uh, which is actually a marker from the SS Valiant. Its crew is entirely dead. Uh, captain was the whoever was last alive on it had been researching ESP, and then the captain ordered a self destruct. So right. Kirk and, decides and, oh, we, ch- something. Uh, sorry, uh, they were exploring the edge of the galaxy, which even the the '60s effects looked uh, pretty cool. But uh, oh the, god, that the looks remastered so awesome. one is also quite good. I mm. love those shots where the ship is really tiny, and you see sort of the hugeness of space. Yeah. And you didn't get a lot of that in the series proper, but you got it here. So you could definitely see, you know, just how tiny and insignificant they are compared to where they are, which is yeah. 
So that evolved into we're Americans exploring American space. Yeah. Oh, and we're also introduced to the new ship psychiatrist, Doctor. Is it Denner? D- yeah, Daner. Elizabeth Daner, I think it is. Um, Daner. Sally Kellerman, who was absolutely adorable back then, and uh, mm-hmm. do a Google search on her now, because yikes. Yeah. Time has not <laughs> been years kind were to her. the years in plastic surgery have not been kind to her. Yeah. The uh the expression time is the fire in which we burn, well uh there's your <laughs> there's your proof. Her cover her face is covered in third degree time burns. <laughs> so the they get the the ship gets like electrocuted or attacked by the edge of the universe or something. Uh the, the computers explode quite nicely. As always. Yep. No, they, the, the exploding computers looked really good in this for some reason. Yeah, they did. I think they, they still had a bit more off. money. I think I think they still had a bit more money for this pilot than they did in the series as well. Like not as much as the cage, but still more than than in the Sp- series proper. Spend it on blasting caps. <laughs> well, the bridge looked a little more polished. Parts. I thought a little, little more, a little less like props. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then we get both Mitchell and Denner get sort of silvery and flash back and forth and Mitchell's eyes get all silvery. That looked really cool, especially for yeah, practical effects awesome. from 66 or 67 or whenever that was, it was surprisingly cool. Like, um, did they, do you know what they did with the contact lenses? Did they have contact I, lenses? Pretty, yeah, they, they did have colored contacts. I got the impression that either they were trying to hide his silver eyes or the actor playing Gary Mitchell was really uncomfortable because he spent a lot of times in his close-ups with his eyes almost closed. Mm. And I get the feeling that they must have been super painful for him. Yeah, that actor died of shredded corneas later in life. <laughs> uh, one thing they did establish before that, that beam hit the ship was that um, that ESP is a real thing. Uh, scientific fact, as as Daner says, which is, mm. really, it is? <laughs> yep. And, uh, and people with high levels of, of ESP potential, which happened to be her and Gary Mitchell, were the ones who were affected. Ah, yes, that explains that. Which, which I thought was odd because... Vulcans, and I guess they just hadn't figured this out yet. Vulcans are like half-assed telepathic. Shouldn't it have affected Spock as well? Nope, his Vulcan mind shield was up. Ah. See, what you don't know is that in addition to extra eyelids, Vulcans have a thin film over their brains to protect it from the edge of the galaxy. Listen, aliens in Star Trek can grow vestigial body parts whenever the plot demands it. That's just how it goes. (laughs) Worf needs a new spine. No, a new heart. Was it a new heart? I thought he needed a new spine too. Well, he needed a spine, but when they were when he was on the operating table, his heart started. Or his heart stopped, and his second heart started. <laughs> so it was it was about his spine, but what saved him was his. Oh right, Klingons have a second heart. Wink, wink. That's I, always. How did there. we not? How did we not remember that? Yeah. Oh, how well. did I, a surgeon operating on a Klingon, not remember <laughs> that? That's really something I should know before I cut something open. Ah, uh, no time for that now. <laughs> So yeah, yeah Mitchell and then Lasky in her place. <laughs> no, that was Crusher, actually. No, I know. Oh, very well. So yeah, Mitchell and, and Daner get zapped with this uh, crazy DSP energy, and uh, Mitchell suddenly becomes a jerk, or maybe he's been yep. a jerk all along. We haven't known him long enough to know. Yeah, that's the thing, and that's why I want to know more about this guy. Has he always been a jerk? Yeah, it's hard to really care about somebody like telling us that he's the captain's best friend when we've never even met the captain before. Mm-hmm. Really doesn't help us have a tremendous amount of sympathy, and we saw him for maybe five minutes leering over women, and that's pretty much all he did. Of course, you know everyone was doing that at the time. Well, and I'm, I'm in that sense, I'm kind of glad that he ended up dead because I don't know, two Kirks on the same ship might have been too much. Yeah, Amok time would have been about them fighting over Spock's wife. 
Anyway, so Mitchell's got his magic silver eyes eyes now, and he's feeling awesome, and he's moving shit around. Yeah. He's he's getting gradually more, like, more magic or whatever. More or less human. And and uh, Daner has this really strange argument when they're talking about what to do with him, where she's like, well, maybe a breed of superior humans is better. Like, whoa, really? Well, gee, Daner, maybe you should think about the eugenics war for a while. That's basically, she sounded like a eugenicist. She sounded like, well, he's better than we are, so maybe, like, why is that bad? He's we could all be better. How awesome his eyes look. <laughs> look at the lasers that can come out of them. Uh, anyway, so he's... Mitchell's reading everything on the ship, like all, all of the literature. He's moving stuff around with his mind. He's creeping everyone out and talking about how awesome he is. Yeah, he drops the word God at one point. And all Spock wants to do is kill him. From, from minute one, as soon as they start discussing options, Spock's like, kill him. Now, Captain... There's nothing we can do but kill him. I don't really want to kill him. Kill well, you have to do kill it. him. Do it. Do it. The the thing is, one of the things they said about uh, about the cage, one of the reasons they rejected it was get rid of that satanic looking guy. Which, yeah, and <laughs> how much him more satanic can you get than a pointy eared guy who keeps telling the main guy to kill someone? I mean, he's like a like, devil on his shoulder. You you literally could see him like leaning over Kirk's shoulder, going, "You know, you could kill him. Yeah, come on, kill your best friend. Do it." You know you want to. It's easy. I think, I think it was important for the writers to figure out that Vulcan, like, the, the Vulcan lack of emotion does not just mean, you know, making those cold, harsh decisions. Like, they had to they had to give them a, a kind of compassion to balance that out. Well, otherwise, I mean, that's the thing. Otherwise, that's all Spock would be. Yeah. And, and I mean, the other thing that, like, a lot of people don't get is that, like, he has emotions. Well, that, and all Vulcans do. But, I mean, their their basic philosophy has to respect life. Yeah. Like, it turns out that they're vegetarians, and they, they, they are compassionate. They just don't openly display that compassion. Yeah. But they can't just be these cold, you know, ah, kill them, fuck it. Like, they can't mm-hmm. be like that. Then they, yeah. they they work that balance out later. But early on, I can see the approach of, you know, reading the Bible of the show and saying, well, okay, he's he's the cold, logical one, so he would just want to kill everything. Mm, not really. Well, I mean, at that point, we hadn't even established that Spock did, you know, he, he, like, he didn't use his emotions, and he, you know, he was all about logic. He was just a jerk. No, he did mention a couple of times, like, that was the whole thing about him telling Kirk, like, I can make the hard choices because I don't have your human feelings. Your I guess that's feelings. true, yeah. <laughs> I, do I don't love, feel your Earth annoyance. I do love a good expression, a good, uh, <laughs> your Earth blank. <laughs> Quite enjoy that. We briefly consider your Earth podcast for this. <laughs> So yeah, while uh, while Mitchell's reading uh, reading up on everything, he he drops the line to Kirk. Uh, you have been reading this long hair stuff, <laughs> which really jumped out at me. Like, yep, even in the future, hippies. Apparently, so hippie stuff is ESP. I guess I don't. Yep. Fucking know. Well, we'll be getting more of that in Way to Eden. Uh, the, <laughs> the episode that makes Spock's brain look good. Nothing makes Spock's brain look good. I've watched it in the uh, the restored like. Enhanced, still, still terrible. <laughs> so they finally uh, get him down to a planet. It, well, the idea is that they they have to go to this planet and get to get uh, either dilithium or lithium to repair the uh, the Enterprise's engines, which are broken. Or the Enterprise is depressed and they need lithium. That's what it is. <laughs> and Spock suggests stranding Mitchell there. Yeah, now that's Kirk's uh, the, the, that's Kirk's uh, solution for everything. Just maroon mm-hmm. someone on a planet. 
<laughs> That'll never bite me in the ass. The the universe is littered with planets where he's left people who pissed him off. Either All knocked of up a chick and wandered away or yep. left them marooned on a planet. Or both. All of them waiting for the other planet in the system to to explode so that, it, <laughs> so that the climate the can change. It wasn't as good a title. No, not not really. I think Joe Don Baker yeah, pretty much ruined Mitchell was the problem. Erno. So yeah, they make it down to this planet. They they are considering dumping Mitchell. Oh, and the 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 factory on this planet looks so cool. Yeah, the the sets on that planet were surprisingly good. Oh my god, just amazing. Now we should point out going forward, apart from the cage, I am watching the restored, like fancied up Blu-ray ones, and Matt's watching the original '60s ones. Yes. And so I often can't tell what's what's new and what isn't, but it's cool to hear that 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 was always there. Like mm. they didn't spruce it up. I don't think it was just it was just cool. So we dump Mitchell on the planet. He proclaims that he's a god, and Kirk decides that there's really no choice except to kill him. What does God need with a starship anyway? Do they ever? I think God that? just likes starships. You know, very well. Wants them flying around, <laughs> and. Uh, Damer, what the hell is her name? Daner. Daner is like, oh, I want to stay with Mitchell and, I don't know, worship him or something. I I wasn't really clear on on what was supposed to happen there. If he was subordinate to him, if they were equals. If he was controlling her, I was thinking that for a while. There's no room in his world of space gods for women. Anyway... Mitchell strangles some dude from the ship with a wire, which was awesome. Yeah, that was that was pretty brutal, and uh, and that explains why, you know, why we never saw that guy again, at least. Mm. And then uh, Kirk decides, well, I personally have to kill him because he's my friend and it's my responsibility. And he gets a phaser rifle, which is so fucking cool looking. Yeah, the look of the early phasers and the phaser rifle was kind of an extension of that. It was more like transistory with like the coils and like the- everything was very ray gun looking yeah. you know and and they gradually moved away from that which is too bad because i really enjoyed that look mm-hmm. and i mean like there was a you know the evolution of that to sort of a more uh streamlined phaser and then eventually when we got to next gen the uh dust busters <laughs> or the remote controls that yes <laughs> that shot lasers yeah i i wasn't a big fan of those but uh, no but i understand having to evolve them and so on but and we never see the phaser rifle again, which is too bad because it looks so cool. I think you do actually, but I don't think not, it looks not like in the original that. series. I know TNG. No, no, had that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure in in the original series you do, but uh, but not that one. Like I think no. they redesigned one. It God, it looks badass. I'm looking at a picture of it right now, and I want one <laughs> anyway. So Kirk, Mitchell, and Denner fight for a while, and Denner builds Kirk a grave. Ah, yes. With the infamous James R. Kirk on it. <sighs> Something, a stupid little production error from the second pilot that people in the expanded universe have been working for years to retcon. I would not even call it a production error. I don't think they knew yet. Yeah, exactly. It's not like the production Bible said every, you know, he was born in Iowa on Earth at this date. His middle name is Tiberius. Like, they flesh that stuff out as they go. Not every detail is in place yet. Yep. And something that you need to know about me and Matt, and we said this at the beginning, we'll we'll repeat it. We don't care. Mm. If they make a minor mistake, but the story's still good, who cares? Yeah. It's a TV show. It does not take me out of it. I mean, I'll laugh at it because it's funny. Mm-hmm. I know it's not our Kirk, and that gave me a little giggle, but overall, it doesn't affect my enjoyment. It doesn't ruin anything. It's just, you know, it's just a show you should really just relax. 
<laughs> so anyway, Mitchell continues trying to kill James Riberius Kirk. <laughs> and we get the first appearance of the Kirk sucker punch. Mm-hmm. And Kirk losing Kirk's his shirt. <laughs> I I love the way Kirk fights with his two-fisted punch and I, his falling down so he can kick a guy. Apparently, and if, if anyone listening, well, first of all, if anyone's listening, thank you, because uh, we know we're reaching out to a bit of a, more of a uh, specialized audience here. Um, but if anyone listening knows about, like, uh, fighting styles and stuff, I have read, and I don't know enough to really know if this is true or not, that there is an actual logic to it. Like there's some kind of, I don't know, jujitsu or I know nothing about this. So I'm completely out of my element here, but mm. if anyone knows about actual fighting styles and history and stuff and, and can explain to me, you know, if there is some kind of logic to Kirk or if it's just Shatner flailing around, uh, drop us a line. Mm. I'd, I'd be, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Anyway. So Denner realizes that Mitchell is crazy and not, you know, a, not probably not the best person to base your, your the rest of your life around, and she uses her psychic powers to weaken him. And then Kirk drops a rock on him. <laughs> Buried alive. <laughs> Buried alive. And then leaves. And then we get our great scene at the end where uh, Kirk says, "Mr. Spock, I believe there's some hope for you after all." And thus, be- <laughs> thus began that tradition. <laughs> Yeah, not not a bad episode. Uh, still fairly ponderous, I would say. Actually, like yep. there's some action, but there's still a lot of you know cerebral like you gotta you gotta really pay attention. You gotta know what's going on, and uh, they mm-hmm. don't really spoon feed you a lot of like you just have to buy into the fact that there's ESP and and all that. And uh, and again, for the '60s, that's that's kind of a leap. Like, yeah, not a not just a ton of that going on. Don't assume you sort of know what they're talking about, or and if you don't, you'll get it if you just you know pay attention. The thing that really amazed me was knowing that they had just basically tossed the cage out and started over. They mm. didn't spend any time. Actually, in the cage, come to think of it, too, they didn't really explain what the transporter was. They stepped in nope. this thing. They turned all glittery, and then they were on the planet. You just yep. had to – they didn't have to say, this transporter beam that sends our atoms across the blah, blah, blah. Nope. Just you, – you you had to pick it up. And, and, and I, I mean – A weird thing to fixate on, but really it's – I like that they're not talking down to us. I enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, and now, I mean, it just, it feels like common sense, you know, like, oh, it's teleportation. We all get that. But I mean, back then it must've been like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. But you know, I, I really didn't feel condescended to. No. I felt like they, like it wasn't, I wouldn't call it intelligent exactly, but it wasn't dumbed down, mm-hmm. which, you know, again, for, for television is, is quite impressive. Uh, but overall, nobody was the way they will be later. Like. No, I mean you could you could really throw out this this episode and uh, it would not affect anything at all. Yeah, everything sort of makes sense later. I mean it's good and I oh, like yeah. it, but uh, but it really the characters don't act anything like they'll act later, and half the people aren't even in place yet. And Gary Mitchell was never heard from before or since. And- yeah. Here's what I'd like to know. If you watched both of those and had no idea of what was what was going to come, which of those two would you rather see go to series? Oh, well, definitely The Cage because yeah. I like Pike better. I like the idea of, of number one. I, the, the whole production value is more appealing to me. Just I, everything yeah, about absolutely. It. I'm exactly the, same, exactly the same. You don't really get a whole lot of sort of what Kirk's about in the first one. Yeah, you really get some nice peaks. I mean, setting an episode sort of inside Pike's mind is a really nice way to uh, to tell you what he's all about neatly yeah. in an hour. Like that was that was some smart sort of economic uh, storytelling there. Uh, DS Nine did the same thing. Its pilot 
a lot of it sort of took place in Cisco's head. So mm-hmm. by the end of that, you have a really good idea of who your who your captain is because you've yeah, exactly. time seeing what he thinks about. And you know, it's it, it. Whereas with Kirk, it's just like, well, he had this friend who's dead. Mm-hmm. He likes to take his shirt off. That's pretty. Much he loves he to take his shirt off, and well, that's about, oh, and he likes chess. So yeah, I would, I would definitely. But again, we're coming at this from you know, I mean, I was born in the seventies. You were born in the eighties. Like mm. we're coming at this from a, from not the same angle as a you know a sixties TV viewer too. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe so, they yes. both like the other one better, or maybe you know, maybe, I I guess we'll never know. <clears throat> I I just I think that the show really needed to sort of like once it got past where no man has gone before, it really sort of needed to you know start establishing itself. Yeah, well, and and, it did, and there wasn't and very much serialized storytelling that there wasn't a lot of setting up things that would happen later. No. Cause we're used to that now, but it wasn't really a huge factor in, in television back then. So mm-hmm. you, you lose a lot of like, it doesn't matter that it's James R. Kirk cause next week it'll be T Kirk. And you know, it might as well be a whole new universe that it takes place in anyway. That's just the, yeah, way exactly. They didn't think people would be watching them over and over again and scrutinizing them. So yeah. Yeah. So that's the first two pilots. There's an old Vulcan proverb. Matt, you got a you got a quote from. Uh, we're gonna try and pick our our favorite quotes. You got a quote uh, from yes. Where No Man's Gone Before. My favorite quote from Where No Man Has Gone Before. Have I ever mentioned you play a very irritating game of chess, Mister Spock? Irritating. Ah, yes, one of your Earth emotions. <laughs> oh, you'll know what irritation is, Spock, when uh, when Bones shows up. Yeah. Dr. McCoy hasn't arrived yet, but somewhere out there is a shuttle on the way to the Enterprise with a very angry man in it. And you will know our Earth irritation. <laughs> uh, my line that I chose from the cage, which is also uh, a Spock line, you really need it in context, like picking it out on its own. It's not super funny, but you have to see uh, when they're on the transporter pad and, and the, the crew beams away and only the women go, Spock just suddenly starts and very Shatner-like says... forgot about that. That's so completely out of, I mean, I say out of character. We'd seen the character for all of 20 minutes to that point, mm. but what we know about the character later, it's just <laughs> such a not Spock thing to say. <laughs> and such a not Spock way to say it. Oh. Uh, and then we have our other feature uh, in the future. Poverty, disease, war, they'll all be gone within the next 50 years. In the cage, we are, we are uh, introduced to the idea that uh, man has broken the time barrier. Mm-hmm. No idea what that means. We'll never come back to it again, but... Uh, it's just, broken. Just know, so. in the future, we have broken the time barrier. So, we got that going for us. <laughs> and what do you got from where no man's gone before? Uh, in the future, uh, information will be stored in flying space barbecues. <laughs> Very nice. Mm-hmm. All right, folks. Well, we have run way longer than we expected to, but uh, it doesn't really surprise me at all. Mm-hmm. I thought we would be thirty minutes max. We're coming up on an hour here. Ha! We'll uh, we'll try to we'll try to keep that a little shorter next time. Then again, much for notions of timing. <laughs> I guess we haven't broken the time barrier yet. <laughs> uh, but until next time, um, keep doing that. Keep watching the skis. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll be back next week. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. 
This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. 